This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with mega real estate developer and owner of Skinwalker Ranch, Brandon Fugel. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. In this episode, my friend and mentor, Brandon Fugel, super successful real estate developer, prominent business leader, EY Entrepreneur of the Year, chairman of Collier's International, philanthropist, owner of the famous Skinwalker Ranch, and collector of of historical artifacts, shares his life and story of co-founding Coldwell Banker Commercial Advisors, being recognized for 14 years in a row as the number one operator internationally with 30 offices in 11 states, and where he was recognized as the number one agent globally, giving us an inside glimpse into the mind and heart of a serial entrepreneur. The most fascinating part of this episode is our discussion of Brandon's purchase of Skinwalker Ranch so he could investigate the strange and unexplainable phenomena that has been reported there for more than two centuries, documented on the popular History Channel TV series, Skinwalker Ranch. I stand with power players, and obviously as a podcast host, I have access to most anybody that I really want to have on this program because of the influence of KUTV and Sinclair Broadcast Group. And so I'm very judicious in the, the guests that I, that I track down. And it's so crazy how so many people continuously track me down wanting to be on my podcast and to stay true to the theme Power Players with Dan Clark and the promise that if you listen to the guests and you think like they think and you get the conviction and, and the significance of their why, which is always bigger than their why not, and then you're willing to do what they do, there's a really good chance, ladies and gentlemen, that you actually can do what they do because their secret sauce is not secret at all or they would have never discovered it. What they discovered was that if they tune into the irrefutable truths of the universe— and they, they always lead with integrity, service before self, and a commitment to excellence in all they do, only good things can happen. And having said that, one of the greatest men I've ever met, and I get emotional thinking about Brandon Fugel, because if you live in the Intermountain West and you're driving on I-15 or you hang a left and you go down I-80 east or west towards Wyoming or, or California or Nevada, It doesn't matter if you're in a country road, one of the state highways, if there's a significant commercial real estate development going on, or if there's a significant piece of raw ground that is now undeveloped, you will usually see a magnificent, professionally designed and created real estate sign that says, contact Brandon Fugel. Of all the people that I've met in my life, He has this innate ability, this inherent quality to look at things and people not for who they are, but for what they have the potential and power to become. 
So in that introduction that you listened to, you understand that Brendan Fugel is one of the most well-respected and significantly successful commercial real estate development developer in the country. And he is an you know, entrepreneur of the year and all the things that we, that we talked about. But more importantly, he's a man of integrity. He's a devoted man to our community and to the world at, at large. And so our conversation today is not just going to be about real estate development, but it's going to be about personal development. And then as promised, as the owner of the Skinwalker Ranch, the top rated uh, program on the History Channel, I want to delve back into his youth, the curiosity of why there were so many crazy, fascinating, unexplainable phenomenons going on at Skinwalker Ranch, reported for all almost two centuries. And now he's the owner, the pilot of a helicopter, so he can per- peruse it from 200 feet or 10,000 feet. Please welcome to my program one of the great human beings on our planet, community activist, philanthropist extraordinaire, and dear a, 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 a friend. I admire you so much, Brandon uh, Fugel. Thanks for fitting me into your your unbelievably busy life. Well, I'm, I'm humbled uh, by your kind introduction. I, I'm not worthy. And the, the words of Wayne's World uh, from the old Saturday Night Live from the 80s, uh, I, I feel quite unworthy of such a, which a, such a warm introduction. But it is such a privilege to be here. I've watched you for decades influence and elevate our community, not just in Utah, but also globally. So don't Thanks. think that I haven't seen... All of your books and the the motivational and inspirational content that you have put out there for decades. So today is it's 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 a fun day for me because I get to meet and visit with uh, one of my heroes and Thanks. one of my uh, real motivating forces and mentors from afar. And so it's it's a great privilege to join you, Dan. And I look forward to being an open book. Absolutely. Um, uh, and and answering any questions and and doing a deep dive into so, everything. So, <clears throat> as you and I travel the world, I think one of the one of the the the, the most monumental causes of low self esteem is r- not realizing that it's not the size of the dog in the fight; it's the size of the fight in the dog. It's not the size of the town; it's the size of the dream. And you grew up in a smaller town here in Utah, Pleasant Grove. PG. And I want to know, at what stage in your life did you believe that your mission and purpose in life exceeded the outlying boundaries of Pleasant Grove, Utah? <laughs> Good question. You know, I, I was very fortunate to grow up in a small town in Pleasant Grove. I'm fifth generation, uh, Pleasant Grove, which would make my children sixth generation. Uh, you know, the the product of Scandinavian Im- immigrants who who came in the 1860s uh, to uh, to this incredible country that we have the privilege of living in, and you know I was inspired from a young age uh, by a number of things. I mean, I grew up uh, digging ditches. A lot of people would be surprised to hear that I actually grew up on construction crews uh, from the time I was 15 until 18. It was it was simply expected that I would be shipped out of town and work out on construction crews putting in uh, gas lines. And, and at the time, the newest fiber optic 
lines that were being introduced uh, in the Intermountain area. And it, it, it taught me the value of hard work, independence, and it also taught me how to work with people from a diversity of backgrounds and how to respect others that may not necessarily believe the same way you believe or live the same way you live uh, and, and maybe on a different journey, but have, have an important voice and are part of a team uh, that, that can really make incredible things happen. Uh, when I was 13 years old, my father received a book for Father's Day called Iacocca, the great autobiography of the automotive icon, Lee Iacocca. And, and that book opened my eyes. I read it cover to cover in one weekend, and it changed my worldview. And from that point forward, I became obsessed with knowing not only who the, the, the key executives, entrepreneurs leaders are that help really shape our landscape, but what put them in that position? What drove them? You know, what was, you know, what was their background and, uh, and their driving force? It wasn't just enough to know that uh, Steve Jobs was the founder and CEO of Apple. It was knowing what drove him, what, exactly. what his story. I, I'm big on origin stories, so my favorite movies happen to be more origin story movies like Batman Begins, Iron Man, the original Spider-Man, etc. Because in those stories, you find these individuals that, that actually discover who they are and their mission in life. And interesting that you would bring up Iacocca. I read that book as well. And obviously, he almost single-handedly saved Ford Motor Company because he was the one that came up with the Mustang. Is that not yeah, true? Yeah, he's the father of the American Mustang, and we can blame him for the Chrysler minivan. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and and to be in a position where he had to take a risk, where he had to roll the dice and bet on one specific program, that being the, the Mustang, to not just resurrect the, the dignity and, and character and history and profitability of Ford Motor Company, but to save the day. And then as the book continues on, he comes in and single-handedly saves the automobile industry with the government, you know, loans and yeah. all the things that he that that, that he orchestrated. Yeah, he so turned that's around Chrysler Corporation after yep. being fired. Yes. Summarily fired from Ford Motor Company at the peak of his popularity, the father of the father of the American Mustang, he ends up being hired by Chrysler when they are in deep trouble. They are on the the brink of of bankruptcy and failure, and engineers a turnaround that continues to be a, a key part of not only automotive history but business history. And so, as a, as a young teenager, that inspired me. And so by the time I was a senior in high school, I had my own subscriptions to the Wall Street Journal and Business Week. My favorite movie, don't judge me for this, but my favorite movie in high school, I would rent it on VHS, that's how old I am, uh, was Wall Street with oh, Michael yeah. Douglas, who oh, won yeah. the Academy Award playing the, the character Gordon Gecko, and, and that further drove me to to understand business and identify a career path at age 18 where I would have the hopeful opportunity and privilege of working with the captains of industry, those individuals who are both changing our landscape and also seeking to change our landscape and our world. But you know what? It also did 
Brandon, is it somehow planted the seed in you that you actually can master the calculated risk? Because if, if there's not a lot of folks who can do what you do, who can roll the dice with millions and millions of dollars at stake yeah. and believe that this project will be profitable having not sold one lease yet, having not sold one property, you're still rolling the dice. So now, ladies and gentlemen, let's amalgamate what Brandon's taught us so far. He, he learns to roll the dice. He learns to take a calculated risk. He learns to do his due diligence and figure out if it's worth taking the risk. And at the same time, you wanted to take that quality and team up with the industry leaders and those who were in a position to actually help you roll the dice and team up to pay that price so that you can actually, you know, pay the price today and enjoy the prize forever. So let's just jump to right then and there. So now you're 18 unbeknownst to you, maybe you didn't take the time to quantify what you had learned, but it was just now part of who Brandon Fugel was. And what did you do next? Well, one week out of high school, I jumped into commercial real estate. Within within weeks, I, uh, I had my license and started with a brokerage firm, a boutique firm in Salt Lake City that had spun off. In fact, the principal was the former top producer of what was then Coldwell Banker Commercial, and uh, he was the leading commercial broker at the time. That's what really, you know, inspired me to to reach out to him. He turned me down four times. Four times, he basically told me, "You seem like a good kid. You seem like you're a driven young man, but uh, you." Know, Go on a mission. Go get go get your college degree. Go sell Xerox copy machines or whatever for a few years, and then come back and talk to me. And I, I, I left dejected every time, but I was relentless in coming back uh, as I was getting my license. And I told him, I, "What is it going to take in order to to have a desk in your office and to to launch my career with your firm?" And he he reluctantly allowed me in. I uh, cut a, a deal that was really not in my best interest financially, but I didn't care at the time because I saw it as my Harvard MBA equivalent. As I was going to what is now UVU at the same time, I had a leadership scholarship out of high school. I was a uh, student body president, really fortunate to have a leadership scholarship to what is now Utah Valley University, who I love. I mean, it's... It's, Largest university in Utah. Yeah, 43,000 students. So, and uh, and in case incredible. we don't get back to this, Brendan, in his level of success, donated $5 million to build a building to advance the education of other kids to take advantage of the path that, oh. you've, that you've followed. Thank you so much for your big heart. Oh, it's and my to give school. Back, I know, your school <laughs> to give back. That's so cool. I bleed green, as they say. <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was interesting, and it was a challenging time. That first year in the business... Uh, many people don't realize this. I only made five hundred dollars. What year was that? Uh, nineteen ninety one to nineteen ninety two. Made five hundred dollars working over forty hours a week while you know carrying a full load in in college. But uh, but I, I I learned how to build a proprietary database, and I learned the power of information during that year, as well as the the ropes associated with the commercial real estate business and and really being a business infrastructure expert. And that experience was invaluable. I mean, it was worth more than money that money could buy. Did you read books? Did you take seminars? Did you interview experts who had done what you want to do? 
Yeah, you know, I read a number of books. My father, who was my greatest mentor, uh, you know, actually turned me on to a number of books. The typical Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Og Mandino's classics. But I, I really, at the end of the day, spent most of my time reading all of the trades, all of the periodicals. So, you know, Business Week, Forbes, Fortune, uh, those were my staples. Those were, I read those cover to cover so I could understand and at least be able to speak intelligently relative to every sector of our economy. The Economist is another mm-hmm. uh, publication that I've read since I was a teenager. Let and, me, let, yeah. Hold that thought. Let me just interrupt. <clears throat> so people ask me how I prepare as a professional speaker. And I have to read what my audience reads so that I can have an intelligent conversation and speak as one having authority as we know and communicate with them on their level it's never about us it's always about them that's interesting that as a young man because of your love of literacy i mean of literature and your love of learning that exponentially catapulted you into an equality position with these industry leaders which basically tore down the barricade of age and no longer did you have to deal with, oh, he's just a young kid or he's, you know, I still don't think you shave. But <laughs> well, here's still this young that. guy and you prove to them and to yourself and to all of us that age has nothing to do with success and significance. It's about preparation and passion and purpose. Right. Age and background, you know, where you, where you grow up. I mean, although we are all products of our environment to a degree, the beautiful thing about the American dream and this incredible country that we live in is that there are opportunities for anyone, regardless of their station in life, their background, their upbringing, there are opportunities to succeed and to contribute to the community and, and play a key role in uh, the success of our economy. So back to you were reading all of the publications you were learning, reading, and that qualified you to have an intelligent conversation with industry leaders. Right. I have a question. What drew you to commercial real estate versus versus residential real estate? Yeah. And I think I know the answer. I've never sold a house, so I, I, I the residential market is a is a completely different beast. What drew me to commercial real estate, to be to be honest, was during my senior year in high school, I I embarked on this research project to identify the career path that would afford me the opportunity to work with these captains of industry, the people that were gracing the covers of Utah business or even the wall street journal. And as I went down the list and I went, went and met with the managing partner of a law firm downtown who was kind enough to give me a few minutes. And then I went went and met with a business banker. Uh, In fact, he was with Zions bank at the time. And, and then I met with a securities broker as I went out and uh, conducted research, I found that there were either significant age, educational, or other barriers or prerequisites. And uh, I was fortunate to learn that as long as you have your what, 120 hours of, of education, licensing, basically licensing education to get your real estate license in Utah, you only have to be 18 to qualify for your license. You have to you have to complete the hours and then you have to take the four-hour test and then you have to affiliate. You have to hang your license with a firm that uh, that has the resources, hopefully, and the, the, the platform. But I found that commercial real estate at least seemed to afford that opportunity to a young man like me. And uh, and that's really, it. that's 
that's really the long and short of it. It was the path of least resistance, um, but it, it was a tough path because the sales cycle associated with commercial real estate and commercial real estate transactions is very long. A lot of people don't realize the time between engaging with a client or prospective client to actually transacting business and, and being paid can span years. Hence the starvation period of, you know, my first year only making $500. It was, it was simply uh, because it, it takes a long time to build your book of business and then to be able to take clients through that process, which is very lengthy, very complex. The commercial real estate business is quite unique in that you're dealing with hundreds of different types of contracts, different types of properties and deal structures. And it requires not only a level of creativity, but competence and ability to work with a legal counsel, to work with attorneys, to try to help clients, you know, meet a win-win scenario. And in the ability to take a blank canvas, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, to take a blank canvas, let's say a hundred acre piece of property on I-15 and to be able to envision how to create value there, how to create a, a world-class office park or mall or mixed-use development that will transform a community. And that's, that's part of the exciting opportunity that I found in commercial real estate. Um, commercial real estate, for me, provided a, a path for me to see a tangible manifestation of my labors, to be able to actually see the results of my work, my fingerprints on the, the landscape in a very literal way. It's having a baby. It's, it's a the, rush. It's the con- conception. You know, I, I would say that the biggest <clears throat> rush some days is seeing steel rise. Absolutely. I, I, you know, seeing steel rise in our communities and seeing them transformed and, and place of it, places of employment, uh, places where people can shop, be entertained, be educated. What a privilege. And I, I, many days I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Other days, it's a slog. It's, you know, it has its character-building so, moments. So currently, you're chairman of, of Collier. Take us back to the Coldwell Banker days. Yeah. When you actually was a founder and a co- you were a founder and co-owner. And uh, talk about your national, sure. your, your awards. Is the number one, is the number one, you're more than a realtor, the number one developer, the number one producer all of those hats oh. you wore in the same time frame over a 14-year period of time. Talk to us. Yeah, well, when I w- by the time I was 25, an opportunity came up to establish Coldwell Banker Commercial back in Utah. Non-competes had run out between the predecessor company, and, uh, and I was really excited to Who had given you your first job. Sure, yeah. And, and so we launched in 1998 when I was 25 years old, Coldwell Banker Commercial here in Utah, and, and it was exciting. You know, it's my first employee uh, was my head of graphics who is still with me today. He's, he's been with me as my graphics director since I was 22 years old, uh, wow. which is uh, what a blessing mm. and to have that kind of continuity. And so many of my mentors and partners have thankfully stayed with me and are in the same office to this day. But uh, by 2013, I ended up taking the company private, and I launched an ambitious national expansion campaign uh, with the help of my CEO, a gentleman named Lou Kramer, who I had recruited. Dear friend. I, you know, one of the, the, the most important deals that I've closed in the last decade. 
hands down, was was stealing Lou Kramer away from being president of World Trade Center Utah and a key confidant to the governor's office of economic development and making him CEO of what became uh, the fastest growing privately held commercial real estate firm in the country. We we went from three offices in Utah to 30 offices nationally, I think in, in, in two years time. In 11 states? Yeah, 11 states from New York <clears throat> to LA. And it was an incredible ride. It was a humbling experience though. Uh, we, we got over our skis a bit and uh, it, uh, it was a learning experience that I'll never forget. But, uh, you know, coming out of that, we had the opportunity to, to merge with Colliers International. And Colliers right now is one of the big three global players. is the fastest growing, I believe, the big three. And operating in 67 countries, 17,000 professionals and 500 offices. And so to have a truly global platform now over the course of the last four years has helped catapult us into a better position to, I believe, serve our community and our clients like never before. And still not forgetting the the roots of, of really my practice, which was really built on proprietary market intelligence, building information that can be leveraged in order to help people, companies, organizations save money and position for success. And definition of sales is the transference of trust, the definition of leadership, of management, of coaching, of parenting, the transference of trust. So it's no surprise that you have some of these original employees still as team members <clears throat> because you based your entire operation then and in a global sense on the same irrefutable qualities and core values of integrity, oh. service before self, loyalty, you know, excellence in all you do. I, it's such an honor to have you on this program no. because you're the poster child. Well, relationships are key. Uh, I, I, at the end of the day, the most valuable the most valuable thing that you can take with you in this life are relationships and the experiences born out of those relationships. And I have been very, very fortunate to have yes. mentors, to have partners and, and, you know, important influences in my life. And even, you know, the mentor I had when I was 21, 22 years old is still with our, you know, he's, he's with cool? our firm. He's in our downtown office and we still, we still compare notes and work on transactions together, which is the case with you know some of my key staff. And to to have a an environment where there, you really have a family of mm-hmm. people with a, a shared goal, share objective of of serving the community and producing results. It's exciting. And every building is just another part of your posterity. It's kind of like a genealogy family history lesson. Every time you drive around, you're like, I birthed that building. I birthed that building. I conceived and birthed that building. How cool is that? (laughs) They're all my children. (laughs) I know. Yeah, it it is so exciting to be able to go back. And I know when I'm I'm getting old because uh, I can go back three decades now. Now that I'm I'm entering this June, next month will be uh, will be my 31st year in the business. Uh, for so many years, I was kind of the young gun. I mean, a guy in his early 20s. I mean, I sold my first office park when I was 19 years old. I was oh on my gosh. mission, but that's another story. Um, but uh, to be transacting business and working with so many uh, important institutions at a young age was was an incredible opportunity. And now I find myself being in this role of uh, more, I guess, senior veteran. Absolutely. <laughs> I hate to say Sharing that the wisdom, passing the I'm torch. Still, I'm a 17-year-old stuck in a 49-year-old body. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so let's talk. So true to your vision, true to your your desire, almost your innate 
addiction to keep rolling the dice. I want to just do something. You know, you're the consummate football star. Uh. You, you, you work 99 yards to get into the end zone. And if you stay in the end zone and celebrate longer than 15 seconds, you get flagged for excessive celebration. You have to oh. say, what now? Well, yeah. What's the... next? Now what do we do? Now what do we do? And we can't play. <laughs> we, too many times I've been in the stands and you have momentum and then you stop playing to win and you start playing not to lose. And you've never had that experience. So that brings up another powerful right. question I have to ask you. Anything. So when COVID hit, this pandemic... And I just did three days. I just did a huge uh, uh, training for Keller Williams down in Dallas, huge yeah, regional you training. Bet. And the guy, he pulls me aside when I show up into town, we go to dinner. He said, I just want you to know that about 50% of the population of the state of Texas decided not to participate in COVID. And I laughed. I'm like, I get it. I see what you're saying. But now let's go to the reality piece. People are stuck at home. We are locked and loaded. We... We are shut down. Government says no. And you're in the commercial real estate business and no one is allowed to come to work. And all of us seem to say, whoa me, whoa me. And in the commercial real estate world, especially as a leader in one of the top three global firms in the world, how did you stay focused? Did you really believe that Every storm has an end that you got to have a storm and not have a rainbow. How did you sustain that in the continuing of development? You did not slow down, no. brother. I kept driving around no saying, mercy. a new building's coming up under Brandon Fugel. How did you sustain the belief and the conviction that all will be well? Just stay true to what got you where you are. Gosh, good question. You know, I, I have always psyched myself out to feel perpetually unemployed. Some of the most frightening days of my life have been those days immediately following closing the biggest deals of my career because I, you literally feel unemployed. <laughs> You're only as good as your next deal is, is, well, is a is very as true as saying. Next play. That's, That's a right. Sports analogy. No one wants to know about <laughs> your, no one cares what you did yesterday. They want to know what you have right now closing, what, you, what results you're producing. And so I've always had that element of fear, that pit in my stomach every morning and every, at the beginning of every week and every year, you know, feeling perpetually unemployed and only as good as my next deal. And so when COVID hit, it was an interesting dynamic. I mean, we've never seen in the history of the world a government-mandated shutdown where people have been forced to not go into their places of work. I mean, two years ago, we were in zombie apocalyptic territory. I remember looking out over the valley from my top floor office and seeing entire parking lots in the middle of the week, in the middle of the workday, completely vacant. Hotels completely vacant, restaurants, places of work, office parks. And all it, of which are commercial real yeah, estate. They all, they, and you're talking about <clears throat> the foundational infrastructure of our communities. And it was, it was an interesting time. Uh, it was a time where I think everyone hit hit the reset to a degree, and priorities shifted. You know, we went from from being in hyperdrive as an economy to to everyone huddling in their basements watching Netflix and Tiger King and chasing down toilet paper. Uh, talk about a, a twilight zone type of experience, and 
it just drove me to come in earlier in the day and work later because I felt like, yeah, right now is the time to position, to, to actually be confident. And, you know, as, as the captain of my ship, I felt like it was my duty, my responsibility, not only to my people with the firm, but my clients to send a message of stability, of confidence, even in the midst of great uncertainty. Because I, if there's one thing that has been constant in this world, it's change. Whether it comes in the, the form of a, of a great recession, a financial crisis, or a black swan event like this, uh, this health crisis, we, the only thing we can plan on or at least anticipate is that things are going to change. Nothing will stay the same. And by that same token, things are bound to swing back. And I knew that this too shall pass, that this, this moment in time would hopefully pass and being ready and being positioned to help my clients actually prevail in the midst of challenge and adversity is a key part of our value proposition. Not losing our heads when everyone else is either losing theirs or gone to sleep in a state of paralysis. Did you have to go negotiate <clears throat> compassionate deals with the financial world, with the banks, <laughs> to allow your restaurateurs not to pay your rent until the sun sure. came back, back up the next there day? There were deferments. I mean, it took... It took a really collaborative uh, and cooperative effort in our business community and beyond to to really work through that storm and to survive. I mean, I have a project in Hawaii. It's a 1,250-acre assemblage on the north shore of Oahu. It is just it, it's the crown jewel of the Dole Foods empire. And I had acquired that assemblage and began master planning that with partners as a, this dynamic agricultural community that would bring sustainability to to Hawaii. And we were just setting the stage to start transacting business and unveil our master plan. And then, bam, bam. the pandemic hits. And what happens? Every quarantine, people can't come. You can't transact business. And I'm thankful for people who were patient with us, you know, with lenders and and really the communities to to. I think support each other. That's one thing I absolutely love about Utah is is our sense of community. Utah is is a special place. People fly in literally almost every day uh, to meet in our offices, and they're they're either looking to invest in this market, expand into this market, or they're evaluating as a potential target. And everyone asks, why is Utah you know, consistently at the top of every list, you know, dynamism, business growth. I mean, we have the lowest unemployment in the United States. We have the second fastest growing economy in the United States presently. And they say, what, what is it that sets Utah apart? And I tell them, honestly, it's not just one thing. It's a host of factors. Uh, It is our young, highly educated workforce. I think that pioneer spirit that established Utah is still alive and well in our community. You see it manifest in our venture capital community, which is punching way above its weight class right now. I mean, the, the, the level of M&A activity that is occurring in Utah Absolutely. is it's staggering. And, and with Silicon Slopes, with the high-tech investment and education is phenomenal. Well, and you look at philanthropy in Utah. Absolutely. Utah is consistently ranked the most giving state yep. in the country. People People love community, and they are there for their neighbors. I think we still hold the record in the U.S. Uh, in the Olympic world. I 
served on the Olympic Committee in 2002 Olympics, and I think Utah still logged more volunteer hours than any other Olympic Games in the history of the Olympics. Yeah. Because of our volunteer spirit. It's service. And it. it's it. service and a dedication, a commitment to community sets us apart. And you see that in public-private engagement. I mean, to see our governor's office, our state municipal officials holding hands with the business community in order to come up with solutions and in order to drive smart growth and and prosperity, hopefully for all, I yes, think sir. is a big part of our our success and, and our future. So let's use that as a pivot point and get into two very, very interesting parts of your life. Um, you know, a lot of us have been able to make a little bit of money. You've made so much more money than me. Yeah. But it's fun to at least have a, have a checking account these days. But to see what you've been able to do with the wealth that you've amassed, to, to share some of your loves and some of your childlike wonderment with the rest of the world, one of which is the Skinwalker Ranch, which we'll go to at the end. But I want to get into your collection of historical artifacts. I love books. I've read one book a week for the last 16 and a half years. My mother always, you know, tells the world that I think I've 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 written more books than I ever read. She doesn't know. <laughs> but my love of literature, my love of history. I love history. As I travel, I'm an odd duck. I'll go listen to the oral arguments at the Supreme Court in in, in our nation's capital and I'll spend the rest of the time in museums. So that intrigues me so much about not only your collection, not only you as a collector, but I want to know a little bit more about (laughs) your collectibles, brother. Talk to us about some of your more interesting collectibles and why you got into that. What what drives you to continuously seek out the first editions and the historical clothing and, and monumental Artifacts. Artifacts yeah. that literally have changed our history Well, I, or been part of our, our history. As a child of the 80s, I was raised on a constant diet of Spielberg, Lucas, Ridley uh, Scott, James Cameron, uh, you name it. And uh, so I am a product of, of my environment to a degree and was inspired by a lot of those movies that formed my, my worldview, movies and television. So as I have grown into adulthood, of course, I had a a dream to start collecting those items that had an impact on my worldview. Call it kind of the Raiders of the Lost Ark or an Indiana Jones type of drive in me to try to locate those cultural artifacts that have, have shaped our our world and I think inspire others. So as, Which was your, what was your very first one? You know, I, I started with rare books to begin with, but I, I, I think some of my, my most valued artifacts, it's, it's, it's a very diverse collection. Uh, the King James Bible and Shakespeare's folio are two arguably most influential printed works in the history of the world have done more to influence English language culture, our figures of speech, our faith. So you know, one of my priorities as I've, I've developed the means to be able to acquire some of these special artifacts was reaching out and, and being able to locate some of, some of these items uh, to have a, a, a physical you know, representation of 
of our world and uh, what has shaped our world. And so, you know, the 1611 King James Bible that I have in my possession, it's funny, it's only had two owners. One, the parish church out of Cambridge, England, that took delivery in 1611. It was the, their cherished pulpit copy and went came to me uh, the last couple of years as they needed to sell it to make some important repairs to a 1280 structure and uh, the Shakespeare folio, which has its original medieval binding in place. I mean, it looks like something right out of a movie, but it's real. And, and where do you, do you have these? Obviously they're, they're very well protected with security, but do you, yeah. do you have the Brandon Fugel museum that I've never heard I, about? Yeah, I've, <clears throat> in my offices, I typically keep most of my collection rotating through the offices, uh, you know, to, to go kind of a polar opposite direction. I mean, some of my other precious artifacts include, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's fake blood and bullet hole riddled jacket from the Terminator, his arm, you know, his Terminator arm that he posed with. Uh, those are, those are incredible artifacts as I, I'm a big sci-fi fan. I mean, Wolverine's claws fitted to Hugh Jackman for X-Men Origins Wolverine. You know, David Bowie's crystal ball from the, the, the Jim Henson classic Labyrinth. I mean, it's a, it's a diversity. I even have, speaking of Indiana Jones, I have the miniature Ark of the Covenant lid that was shot uh, in that final climactic scene where the, the, the lid came down after all of the, the Nazis were annihilated by the, the forces oh that gosh. were that were unleashed from opening the Ark of the Covenant in that, uh, that movie. But it's so many things. Even Superman. You know, my, my first motion picture film that I remember as a young boy was Superman, the movie. Was that with Christopher Reeves? Yep. yep. And, and some of the most <coughs> meaningful artifacts that I have come from that movie. I mean, the original green Krypton crystal that young Clark Kent found in the barn and that ultimately was thrown up into the, the North Pole to create the, uh, the Fortress of Solitude and houses the knowledge of Krypton. I mean, that's an important you know, piece of movie history. You know, Christopher Reeve's flying suit, uh, Jarrell's costume, you know, Marlon Brando, who opened the first minutes of Superman as, as uh, Superman's father on Krypton and those black judgment robes with the silver glowing ass. I mean, I have those in my collection. Look forward to sharing those with generations to come. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, all of these things stand to inspire, to, to help us remember that which has influenced us and uh, has really driven us. In, in all of our journeys to a degree. I mean, uh, Mormon history is another. I, I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to Hawaii, and that triggered in me a love of history and, and, and really a desire to understand my roots. You know, what, what drove my ancestors to follow a movement, you know, a religious movement at the time? And that, that led me to, you know, ultimately acquire everything from, Oliver Cowdery's Book of Mormon to, you know, the first, you know, 1830, you know, Palmyra, Book of Mormon, 1835, Doctrine and Covenants, you know, 1851, Pearl of Great Price, the foundational printed works of the faith. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't care what your religious persuasion is. In fact, I, I have dear friends that, that come from all denominations and, he, and some who don't affiliate at all. Uh, and, 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 honor them in their journey and respect that everyone has a different path. But I, I find that my faith is, if, 
how do I best describe this? If George Lucas were to come up with a with a Judeo-Christian religious equivalent of Star Wars, I think he'd find it in Mormonism. Absolutely. Um, and and it's funny. I I get questions all the time, and not to jump to the ranch, to Skinwalker Ranch, but people ask me relative to to my ownership of this very unique piece of property. They say, "Well, isn't this in in conflict with your faith? The things that you're encountering, that you're studying." You know, does that in any way conflict with with you know, the the faith that you grew up in? I say absolutely not. I, I was raised to believe there are worlds without number that we're not alone in the universe that we're part of a divinely inspired existence, and everything we're doing in a strange way attests to that. Is is I know this sounds strange, but is faith promoting, if you want to call it that, and totally has been agree. important important part of my journey and development. So let's go to Skinwalker Ranch. What we need to do is get everybody to tune into the History Channel. <laughs> it's in its second season. Or third. Uh, sorry, third season. Yeah. And a dear friend, mutual friend of ours, actually is the manager, the head the head rancher at Skinwalker Ranch, Thomas Winterton. He's a dear friend of mine. Oh, yeah. He's, a, he's and, been our acting superintendent since yeah. the month I acquired it, since had, April of 2016. Interesting. So I don't know if you would know this connection, but... On October 23rd, 2010, I had a chance to sort of the edge of space in a U-2 reconnaissance aircraft. Wow. And because it's a, it's a classified mission, I can only tell the world that it's 70,000 feet above the Earth. You see two-thirds, excuse me, of the state of California. At 80,000 feet, you see mapped outlines of America. And at 90,000 feet, you feel like you can reach out and touch the face of God. It was a spiritual experience that I wish everybody could have. So Bezos and, and Branson to the tune of billions of dollars, launched to landing, only were in space for 11 minutes, and they only saw the curvature of the Earth for one minute. They were launched like a rocket, like a rock. And for five and a half hours, I sat in the sounds of silence, gazing into the endless blackness of the universe, pondering eternity in my place in it. And to that spiritual note, a mutual friend of ours, uh, uh, Mr. Uchtdorf, as we we affectionately call him, Dieter Uchtdorf, I quote his words that that we have to be more than mere mortal beings living on a small planet for a short season. And to your point, good brother, because I'm in the U2 community and I've been downrange eight times, Iraq, Afghanistan, I served as an, a Pentagon appointee for many, many years uh, with the chief of staff of the Air Force and so many of the four-star generals, three-star generals, all the pilots are dear friends of mine and I've flown every fighter jet and every bomber. Wow. I've interviewed so many pilots from the U-2 community when I'm up in space with my commander, Edge of Space. I said, so what's the most significant thing that you can teach me right now? And he says, right now, you and I are the highest human beings other than those cosmonauts and astronauts currently living on the space station. And I got emotional. I teared up and fogged up my space helmet. And he said, I wish you could fly up here at night because we're so close to the stars. You don't need a light to read a book, it is so bright in the cockpit, it's illuminated. And every single one of these U-2 pilots to the tune of about 15 so far all attest to having their own U-2, I mean, UFO experience. Oh, they've seen things that they can't explain that don't they, match any conventional And, and only now is the U.S. government and the United States Air Force coming forth and saying, wait a minute, we've had these classified documents, maybe there's more to this 
than we've ever reported. And every single one of these pilots, men of integrity, have no reason to exaggerate, said they've had UFO experiences, legit UFO experiences. So let's get right to the sure. Right to the well, most of these men. Ranch. Most of these men mm-hmm. actually see it as a liability and and at great professional risk. Oh yeah, admit to the reality of witnessing these things. So it, it is not for the faint of heart. It, these topics are are very unique. And, so let's talk. Let's yeah. so so. How did you? So you're a helicopter pilot. Or actually, my brother. Fair, fair. Okay. So I own a helicopter. It's an H. It's an Airbus H one thirty Eurocopter. Yep. Uh, it's state of the art. I think it's the most advanced civilian helicopter in the Intermountain West. And my brother Cameron, who is my pilot, my partner in our aviation company, has uh, has has been my right hand to utilize aviation not only in my business with commercial real estate site selection but also in being able to go back and forth from this very unique 512-acre property in northeastern Utah. And um, animal mutilation, unexplained energy, the triangle, I've studied it. I'm so intrigued. So take us to where you want to begin, not just with your, well, begin with your curiosity of the unexplained phenomenon and how that led you to purchasing or acquiring the Skinwalker Ranch, how it got its name, and now and then once we go there, I'll let you take a breath and then start getting into uh, some of the unexplained phenomena that you're an eyewitness to. Well, that's a loaded series of questions, so I'll, I'll try <laughs> to tackle it quickly here. I, uh, I had been funding an advanced physics program as an entrepreneur about 12 years ago, and during that program, we had certain science advisors that held high-level security clearances with the aerospace and the intelligence community. That, that program ended up, uh, ended up being shut down, and it was a character-building experience for me, one where I lost money and some sanity, and I became very skeptical of anyone who would make bold claims uh, relative to not only advanced physics but a lot of, uh, a lot of, other, uh, a lot of other topics. Well, th- these individuals who... I came to find out were the science advisors to an elusive billionaire out of North Las Vegas named Robert Bigelow, uh, Bigelow Aerospace, who had made his money in real estate. He's the developer of the budget suites of America extended hotel chain, reached out to me and essentially invited me to meet with Mr. Bigelow and discuss a certain piece of property that he had been involved in in northeastern Utah that he'd acquired in 1996 that uh, came to be known as Skinwalker Ranch. And I had read a, a book, you know, back in 2006, I believe, that had, had been released relative to the, the scientific investigation that this elusive billionaire had been funding and conducting on the property. And I, I honestly had read it over a weekend and dismissed it. I didn't really think anything more of it. And uh, as, as these individuals reached out to me and invited me to take a meeting to discuss this property because apparently Mr. Bigelow had been really swept up, quite busy with, with you know, his private aerospace program. He had acquired the Space Habitats program from NASA, the inflat, Inflatables program. He's the only private entrepreneur on the planet that currently has two space stations in orbit 
you know, one of his modules is actually now up on the International Space Station. He's he's focused most of his efforts and uh, and resources in that direction. And and the Utah Ranch Project, which I learned had been part of a Pentagon-funded black budget program between 2008 and 2013, he had essentially sunsetted and was ready for new stewardship. So long story short, flew down, took the meeting, and as I met with Mr. Bigelow, the former owner, I told him, I, look, I'm a skeptic. I've never seen a UFO or a ghost or orb, anything like that in my life. And if I'm to purchase this property, I will install my own scientific professionals, my own scientists and security. And I fully uh, anticipate that there will be a natural prosaic explanation for all that has been reported on this property. And I hope you don't mind that. Please don't take offense. And he chuckled along with his chief scientist and said, well, the good luck with that. And they had a you know file full of, you know, reports on bizarre cattle mutilations, daylight cattle mutilations were where, you know, prized cattle had been drained of their blood in broad daylight, surgically dissected, no trace of who came and, and performed the, uh, the procedures, but uh, that it was indeed real, and it had all these, uh, these reports from a veterinarian, and uh, along with a host of other uh, material dealing with the UFO phenomenon, the high frequency apparently of activity out there. So anyway, long story short, we struck a deal secretly. I never intended to reveal my identity as the owner. Never. I, I did not want my ownership of this, this very unique property with its storied history to in any way undermine my professional endeavors and, and really my my obligations all day, every day in, in leading the commercial real estate market and in servicing clients and working with the captains of industry. So for years, you know, those first several years, I, I had everyone sign confidentiality agreements, liability waivers. And if I've got to tell you, Dan, for the first six months of owning it, I didn't see anything with my own eyes that would qualify as unusual. In fact, I found it to be a very peaceful place. And it's a, it's a, it's a very diverse, strikingly beautiful backdrop. You've got a red rock mesa plateau that runs the expanse with cave systems and you have water that runs through the property, a dry gulch creek, old, you know, four old pioneer homesteads that are still barely standing. You could shoot any number of Hollywood productions on this property with ease. And uh, and and as I owned the property and was traveling there via helicopter to inspect it on a monthly basis and meet with my team as we were starting to deploy security assets to see if there was anything really going on of an unusual nature. Uh, at first, I was, I was very skeptical. And it was only after about six months. In fact, I'd owned it from April of 2016 until October of that same year before I had my own experience that defied all explanation and changed my worldview. What was that? I, yeah, and I've told this quite often on, you know, on interviews and, and various publications. But I, uh, I in, the, in the middle of the day, while entertaining a dignitary that had requested access to the ranch, we experienced all sorts of strange phenomena. It started off as electromagnetic anomalies, smartphones malfunctioning, uh, to smartphones being drained, people feeling strange 
strange sensations. We had one individual, very large man, uh, security professional that was there, six foot six, built like a tank that was rendered catatonic, uh, that uh, was frozen, and uh, and following all of these really unusual events as we are traveling back to the ranch house, back to base camp, if you will, in this open-air UTV, we saw what can only be described as a flying saucer, as a 40 to 50-foot-long silver-grayish disc-like object that was right there above us in broad daylight, hovering over the mesa, proceeded to maneuver to dart back and forth, up and down, with split-second speed, and then was gone. Within 20 seconds, was like a bullet um, out of vision, and it was undeniable. So we had a combination of electromagnetic anomalies, acute medical episodes, and other events, battery drainage, that attended this period of time where we see this what can only be described as a UFO, an unidentified flying object. And, it, and how many of you were in the open air? You know, there were three of us that witnessed it. <clears throat> and God. all three of us earlier in the day had, <clears throat> had expressed our skepticism. All three of us had, had kind of uh, had a sidebar discussion where we expressed that we were skeptics and weren't really the type that would believe that we'd see anything unusual and didn't... Uh, didn't really hold any stock in it. And all three of us saw the same thing. We were sequestered, and our testimonies taken by my chief scientist um, in order to preserve the record and the data involving that incident and others related, and it changed my view, and I doubled down. From that day forward, uh, the investment into the infrastructure, into the technology platforms that are monitoring Everything on that property uh, has been a key priority. And I think using science and technology in service to understanding the nature of what we're dealing with has been, has been job one. And I think we've done a great job with, uh, with pulling together a multidisciplinary team to collaborate on that. And, of course, it ultimately caught the attention of the History Channel. I had still kept my identity secret. In fact, Absolutely. I did not go public until... March of 2020. So I want everyone to know, go back in the public domain, you'll find that uh, before March of 2020, I chose to remain confidential, to remain private as the owner. I had no desire to go public, and I was in no way looking to, to exploit this property, and I still have yet to put a penny in my own pocket personally uh, relative to the effort, and it was only after executives at the History Channel and the production company came out, flew out after persisting for a year with my people to get an audience, that I finally at least opened my mind, and I, I, I half-kiddingly say they Jedi mind-tricked me into uh, <laughs> doing the deal. And, uh, and the rest is history. We ended up uh, bringing a team of production. I mean, we've had... You know, period, three to four months of the year, we've had a full team of production professionals. We're talking 25 of the leading, uh, you know, drone operators, cameramen, audio technicians on the planet situated on this property in service to documenting a very real, unscripted investigation. There is no script. Exactly. Uh, it is absolute <clears throat> truth. That was my condition with the History Channel was... 
everything had to be 100% true fact. Nothing could be contrived, fabricated, manipulated. I, I didn't want to be any part of any ghost hunter type effort that, that would be questioned. Uh, I, I really wanted to keep our eye on the science. So what's one of the most frightening, as we wind down our time, one of the most frightening experiences in one of your episodes, you're flying in your helicopter with your brother, and you experience this unbelievable, like, wackadoodle uh, interference with your navigation system, with uh, your, your yeah. instrumentation. The man, it was... It I mean, was watching that, I was even afraid, because I've been in helicopters before and wondering, what would I have done in that situation? Talk to us. Yeah, so, so my brother Cameron had been piloting the helicopter for really a, a survey at 5,000 feet above what we call the triangle, the infamous triangle. So what's the triangle? In the heart of uh, Skinwalker Ranch. It's, for whatever reason, there seems to be a concentration of strange activity, whether it be electromagnetic anomalies or even UFO sightings and whatnot that happened in the vicinity of this area of the ranch. Well, I authorized using the helicopter in service to going above the ranch and conducting a, a survey and using scientific equipment. And when, when, when my brother went above the ranch with, with uh, Dr. Travis Taylor, who has, you know, multiple PhDs, very well-respected physicist, along with my other physicist, our full-time, you know, uh, physicist and uh, scientific director, Eric Bard, they experienced something very, very strange and alarming. There was an object caught on essentially the, the altimeter you know, that is supposed to monitor uh, you know, you, how close you are to the ground or any other object, and they're picking up an object that was tracking with them 40 feet below the helicopter. My brother tried to perform evasive maneuvers, to, to try to get away from it or at least see if he could jostle the equipment and it just stuck with them and uh, was... was And he was at 5,000 feet. Yeah, about 5,000 feet. And it was, it was very, very concerning. He ended up calling it off. And within seconds of, of stating that he was, he was calling it off and returning back to, to the heliport, to the home base, the object was gone. And uh, the disruption... Uh, ended up disappearing. And as they later reviewed the surveillance footage, the camera footage, you know, uh, tracking the, el- the helicopter, uh, you can see something passing beneath the helicopter that was obviously cloaked, but there was enough trace, um, residual or trace, uh, of something under the helicopter simultaneous with when those alarms were going off and when they were documenting that there was, there was really something below. And so you know, using this scientific instrumentation in service to documenting the reality that, that our airspace is, uh, is, is I, I say, being violated, and I know that sounds strong, but it, it really is. I mean, we're seeing things that uh, are in our airspace that defy any conventional explanation that aren't showing up on any of our avionics receiving platforms, they're neither, you know, military that we know of or, or private or commercial aircraft, and they're definitely utilizing advanced physics or propulsion technology. Definitely advanced physics. Because they whip in and whip out. Yeah. He says they just, bam. bam in the blink bam. of an eye. And, and, and are one, two steps ahead of us every, every 
you know, stage of our investigation. So we're learning a lot. We're, we are preparing to unveil, I, I think, some really compelling new discoveries and evidence. I, it's been like Christmas Eve, or I probably more appropriately stated the, the, the day before Halloween, you know, waiting for, uh, for, for this season premiere that's coming up on May 3rd. Uh, but I think it's going to turn a lot of heads. We bring a whole new level of government uh, oversight to a degree as, as far as uh, some interesting people to the table Absolutely. that will be uh, involved in our investigation. And I think what we end up revealing and showing on our docu-series is nothing short of jaw-dropping. It's, it's the best evidence presented in the public domain that, uh, that we are not alone. Now, I, I want to qualify this, not to, not to be verbose, but people ask me all the time, Brandon Fugel, do you believe that you're, you're seeing aliens? Are you, are, are you experiencing interdimensional, you know, multidimensional entities or time travelers? Or are you, are you dealing with angels and demons, spiritual phenomena? And I, I take a moment and simply respond with yes. It, we probably are dealing with all the above, a diversity. I, I have not made a definitive statement, nor do I know exactly what we're dealing with. The origin and agenda associated with the phenomena continues to be elusive. And I think it's, it, it eludes even our, our military. Absolutely. I mean, we're all trying to find out really what is happening. There's no question now. As to whether, yeah, it it is reality. Anyone who does their due diligence and denies the reality is misguided. Absolutely. So, as you said, agenda, what a powerful word. So, let's consolidate our time, our interview. Here we have a a disruptor and a investor and a risk taker and a champion of industry and a captain of of your own ship, a philanthropist, a family man of four beautiful children, and thousands of little building children that you've created <laughs> and, and birthed over the over the country and throughout the world. What's your message, power player? Can anybody do what you do? And if you had one hour to live, what's your message to the world? Not what would you do? I'd go fishing more or I'd spend more time with your beautiful wife or whatever. No, I want to know what's your message to the world as probably the the epitome of the complete consummate human being. Handsome, smart, no, risk taking. No, I'm telling you. The what, older brother, I get, the the, the the older I get, I I learn the less I know. And if there's one thing, when asked, you know, what is the secret to success, that I on, honestly can respond with, especially over decades of working with so many incredible human beings. I think the secret to success, and this is going to sound somewhat trite and simple, but it, I think that it rings true, is follow the golden rule. As long as you treat others as you would want to be treated, incredible things happen. You get back what you put out there in the universe. Uh, the the nature and power of our consciousness, the ability for us to impact our environment and others and see that come back upon, visited upon ourselves is very, very real. And I've found in my own travels, my own personal journey, and I've had so many humbling experiences 
I've had to learn so much. I'm still learning so much. Uh, I found that the one thing that does hold true is that as long as you treat others as, as you would want to be treated and obey the golden rule, uh, things work out. And, and you're led down paths that, uh, that are incredible. Another thing, kind of to, to add an addendum to that, never underestimate the power of a relationship. Never, never let relationship arrogance seep in. You never know who is going to be your next big billionaire client. You, you never know where your next opportunity lies and never look at a challenge or failure as a failure, but merely an opportunity to grow and learn and leverage that as jet fuel. That's one thing I've, I've been pretty good at is, is leveraging some of these seeming failures that I've had and, and using that to, to fuel my passion. I mean, the, the best response to adversity is to just double down and go out and try to do good work. And so that's my long answer. And just maybe <clears throat> I'll go on record that if we are really dealing with uh, entities, let's not call them aliens, individuals, life forces from another dimension. Yeah. If we're really and truly dealing with people who are investigating our society, the human being, there's a real good chance that they've tapped you on the shoulder. <laughs> there's a really interesting well, an interesting connection in my heart right now that it's more than serendipitous that you own Skinwalker Ranch because they want you. Remember, we have to trust the source of our truth. Right. <clears throat> if you want to find out if, about Jesus stumbling towards the cross, you don't ask Judas Iscariot. You go to Peter, James, or John. You go to Mary, Jesus' mother. If you want to learn about one religious tradition, you don't ask someone who's anti-faith or anti-that particular religious tradition. We know that. And you're such a man of integrity. Here's a chance for whomever is trying to contact us and learn about our society, learn about the human being. You've decided to just tap into Brandon Fugel because you're the epitome of the human specimen that they want to be around. Why? Because of the golden rule. I believe they're going to treat, I believe they're going to, they're going to figure out a way to interact with humans based on the quality of character that Brandon Fugel brings to the table. Oh, that's scary. Isn't that That's a humbling thought, but I. You're our conduit. You're our ambassador. Go figure. Well, I I don't believe in coincidences. No. At all. Not at all. I used to. Mm. I, but I no longer think that things are coincidence. I, I. I actually believe that we truly are part of a divinely inspired, guided, if you will, existence and, and putting ourselves in a position where we can be receptive, you got it. where we can respond to that and, and hopefully contribute in a positive way to our world. Uh, I think that's... And in your place to our universe... Yeah, it's 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 a humbling opportunity. Our team, I have to give so much credit to my partners, my team. You brought up Thomas Winterton. I mean, Jim Morse, he was my first developer client when I was 18, took a risk on a on a kid to market his six-story office building. He's the one that picked me up 
and told me about Skinwalker Ranch before we talked about oh. it to take me to be the keynote speaker to help Thomas Winters' dad get elected in Vernal. Yeah. Jim, I've known him forever. He's the most. He's the real most interesting man crazy? in the world. Absolutely. But, uh, Eric Bard, Caleb Bench, my caretakers. I mean, they go back to my high school years. I mean, we, I, I treasure the relationships that I have, and I would be nowhere without them, without people that are just incredible. Lou Kramer, I'd mentioned earlier, my CEO. Uh, what an incredible man. I find myself inspired and driven to do better on a day-to-day basis. There are those special individuals that motivate not through guilt or fear, but they motivate through the power of positivity. And I've been very fortunate to have mentors like that, like Lou Kramer, that have been part of my journey as partners. And uh, Dan, I, I'm so thankful for this uh, opportunity to engage with you today. What a and great interview. What a, a great human being. I appreciate this, and uh, we look forward to hopefully uh, more to come, and we'll make some history in the, in the process. Fly, we shall fly to Skinwalker Ranch on your helicopter. I'll buy the fuel. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll I do it. the experience. Yeah, we look forward to providing an exclusive briefing and uh, yeah. helping, or you helping us hopefully discover I love it. what is at play. Ladies and gentlemen, Share this episode, Brandon Fugel, and you can um, you can bet on the fact that Utah is the number one place to invest, the number one place to live, the number one place to be educated and raise your family because of Brandon Fugel's yeah. influence as the commercial real estate developer, visionary extraordinaire who's a businessman, who's a powerful force and influence in our community, in the political framework and everything else i love you i honor you i admire you and this has got to be the greatest and most interesting interview i've ever had on my podcast wow it's it's a privilege look forward to more to come thanks thank you all The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.